38, ter, or a cloth moistened with turpentine, may be laid over the stomach for a few minutes at a time. If the child is old enough to set pellets of ice, these are beneficial, or a piece can be wrapped in a cloth and set. Colic. Colic is a term applied to griping pains in the abdomen, which are sometimes accompanied with nausea and vomiting. The derangement is recognized in several forms, some of which we shall briefly describe. Bilious colic. This may be the result of a morbid condition of the liver. Symptoms. It is characterized by severe pain occurring in paroxysms, which may be relieved by pressure upon the bowels. The pulse is quick, the tongue coated, and the skin harsh and dry. There is headache, impaired appetite, acrid taste in the mouth, thirst, nausea, attended with vomiting and general chilliness, followed by febrile symptoms. Cause. It may be induced by exposure to cold in consequence of which the circulation is impeded, the pores of the skin obstructed, and all of the vitiated matters having to be expelled through the liver, stomach, and intestines. It may also be due to malaria in the atmosphere. It most commonly occurs during the autumn, after a season of hot weather. Flatulent colic. Flatulent or wind colic is one of the results of indigestion. Symptoms. A sense of fullness in the pit of the stomach, attended with pain which is transferred from one part of the bowels to another. There is fever, a quick pulse, nausea, and the presence of gas. By the latter feature it may be detected from the other forms, causes, cold or atmospheric changes, the eating of unripe fruits, and cooked vegetables and those articles of diet which ferment easily, are the principal causes. Painter's colic. This form is also known by various names, such as colic epictonum, saturnine, or lead colic. Those persons who are engaged in the manufacture of lead, and painters, are the most frequent victims of this affection. Symptoms, impaired appetite, fetid breath, thickly coated tongue, obstinate constipation, a dry skin, scanty urine, languor, severe pain in the umbilical region, and general derangement of the functions of the system. Causes, from the term applied to this form, the cause may be inferred. It is induced by the absorption of lead through the lungs, stomach and skin. Treatment. The indication to be fulfilled in bilious colic is to relieve the intestinal spasm. This may be done by drinking freely of a decoction of yam root, or dioscoria villosa, which is an effectual remedy in this affection. If this be not at hand, the spasm may be relieved by administering freely of drive pierces extract of smart weed. If the stomach be irritable, a tablespoonful of lognum and one of tincture of lobelia, in four ounces of starch water, administered as an injection is effectual, if simple means do not promptly arrest the attack, no time should be lost in summoning the family physician, in flatulent colic, the treatment should depend upon the cause, if it be occasioned by cold, a teaspoonful or two of the extract of smart weed, in warm water or catnip tea, repeated a few times, will be sufficient, if it result from overloading the stomach, a dose of the pleasant pellets will answer the purpose, if the pain in the abdomen is severe, Apply hot fomentations, assist the action of physic, by giving an injection of senna and catnip tea, or if the stomach is very sour, take internally some mild alkali, such as common salaratus, in painter's colic, the following cathartic mixture is an effectual remedy, sulfate of magnesia epsom salts, 12 ounces, nitrate of potassium saltpeter, half an ounce, sulfuric acid, 1 dram, boiling water, 1 quart, of this remedy give a teaspoonful every 30 minutes or every hour, until the bowels move. An injection of some diuretic tea, or of alum water, is a good remedy. Castor oil and molasses, 
containing a teaspoonful of spirits of turpentine, will add to the efficiency of an injection. If the colic be not promptly relieved, a physician should be employed to eliminate the lead from the system, and thus prevent a return of the colic, or other injurious effects. Two drams of iodide of potassium should be added to a bottle of the golden medical discovery, and a teaspoonful of this taken four times a day. Jaundice, ICDRUs. This affection is generally regarded as a symptom of disordered liver, since it frequently occurs during the progress of diseases of that organ. When the disease imparts a greenish tinge to the skin, it is termed green jaundice, and, when it imparts a blackish color, it is known as black jaundice. Jaundice is undoubtedly due to the presence of biliary elements in the blood. Causes, in consequence of the varied conditions from which it arises, Professor D.A. Costa has aptly remarked, with the recognition of jaundice, the difficulty in diagnosis may be said to begin. He considers the causes of jaundice to be one diseases of the liver, two disease or the bile ducts, three diseases remote from the liver, or general disease leading to a disorder of that viscous, four certain causes acting upon the blood. Symptoms. It is characterized by a yellowish color of the skin and of the white of the eyes. The skin is usually dry and harsh, if it be moist. The linen will be tinged yellow from the perspiration. The tongue is coated yellow. The mouth is dry, and the appetite impaired, there is headache, nausea, and sometimes vomiting, there is pain in the abdomen after eating, and in the region of the liver, and it is also felt in the right shoulder, and between the shoulder blades, in severe cases, there is fever, accompanied with chills, despondency and loss of flesh, the stools are generally of a light clay color, and very offensive, the urine is thick and yellow, when the disease terminates fatally. There is delirium followed by stupor. Treatment. The first step should be to eliminate from the system, as speedily as possible, all noxious materials. For this purpose, the spirit vapor bath should be used. If the urine is scanty or avoided with difficulty, take acetate of potash or queen of the meadow. These may be taken in connection with the golden medical discovery and purgative pellets, the efficacy of which has already been described in the treatment of chronic inflammation of the liver. They are indeed valuable agents in this disease, since they increase the action of all the excretory glands, and rapidly remove those matters, which, if retained, would poison the system. In some cases, acids are of great value, good hard cider or hydrochloric acid and the acid bath are frequently valuable agents. In other cases the employment, both internally and externally, of alkalis in addition to the golden medical discovery answers the purpose much better. Again. There are persons who, in addition to alteratives and baths, require tonics, in the treatment or this affection, whatever may be the nature of the case, the use of alteratives must not be forgotten, for without them, the auxiliary treatment with acids, alkalis, and tonics, will not produce the desired effect, the employment of drastic remedies is sometimes resorted to, but, although they may give temporary relief, the patient soon relapses into his former condition. While if the treatment above given be adopted, the recovery will be permanent. Gallstones, B-I-L-I-A-R-E-C-A-L-C-U-L-I. These are concretions found in the gallbladder or bile duct, and vary from the size of a pea to that of a hen's egg. There may be no indication of their existence in the gallbladder until they begin to pass through the duct. Causes, the formation of gallstones is undoubtedly due to an unhealthy condition of the bile, corpulent persons, and those indulging in overstimulating diet or in the habitual use of fermented drinks, are most liable to be troubled by them. Symptoms. The patient is suddenly seized with excruciating pain in the right side, 
after a time it subsides, but is again renewed with as great severity as before. There is nausea, with vomiting, which is often excessive and severe. The pulse is sometimes slower than is natural. The extremities are cold. There is great exhaustion, together with perspiration and spasmodic contraction of the abdominal muscles. As soon as one stone has passed through the duct into the intestine, immediate relief is experienced until another commences to pass. And the larger the concretion, the greater is the pain. If the stools be washed, the gall stones may be seen floating on top of the water. Treatment. This consists chiefly in relieving the patient of pain and vomiting during the passage of the gall stones. Hot fomentations made with stramonium leaves and lobelia, and applied over the painful parts, are beneficial. Small doses of lobelia may be taken, but not in sufficient quantities to produce vomiting. Doses of opium should also be taken. This anodyne must, however, be used with care. Gelsaminum is often full. Chloroform, ether, or the spirit vapor bath generally allays the pain. Carbonate of soda, dissolved in water, often relieves the vomiting. These distressing symptoms are apt to recur until the removal of all the gallstones is effected. To aid in removing them, take the golden medical discovery rather freely for a day or two, and continue its use with lobelia, in doses sufficiently large to produce nausea, but not vomiting. From 4 to 8 ounces of sweet oil may be given, and, if the bowels do not respond within 3 hours, repeat the dose, and the gallstones will generally be evacuated. To prevent the formation of these concretions take the golden medical discovery, together with alkaline drinks made with carbonate of soda. Tome and energy will thereby be imparted to the liver, the free flow of bile will be ensured and the subsequent formation of gallstones prevented. Intestinal worms. We have not the space to discuss the numerous theories which have been offered to account for the presence of these parasites in the human body. We shall enumerate the principal species, describe the symptoms indicating their presence and indicate the proper remedies. There are five species of intestinal worms, sufficiently common to merit a description. 1. The round worm, termed by naturalists, Ascarize lumbricoids, varies from 6 inches to a foot in length, and resembles the common earthworm. It infests the small intestines, and seldom migrates into the stomach or large bowel. Instances are recorded, however, in which it has crept upward in the esophagus, larynx, nostrils, and eustachian tube, but their presence in these parts is of comparatively rare occurrence, and is generally caused by some local irritation which compels their migration. The fact that they have been found in the peritoneal sac, gave rise to the opinion that they perforate the intestine, but careful observations have proved that they can only escape through openings made by ulcers. This species has been found in adults, but is more common in children from 3 to 12 years of age. The number of the species existing in a human body is variable. Sometimes only two or three are found, at other times a hundred, and even twice that number, are voided in a few days. 2. The Ascaris vermicularis, thread, pin, or seat worm, is round, very slender, and about half an inch in length. The habitation of this species is the rectum, and they are often found mapped together in the excrement. They are very active, even after ejection and have been known to cause great local irritation by entering the vagina and urethra. Their presence is an occasional cause of masturbation. It is impossible to estimate the number of these parasites that may exist in the human rectum. Great numbers, sometimes, are voided at a single evacuation. 3. The Trichocephalus dispar is a third variety of the round worm, 
and is said to infest the bodies of almost every species of mammalia, as its name indicates. The upper portion of its body is slender, hair-like, and terminates at the lower extremity in a thick, spiral portion. It is from 1 to 2 inches in length, and is found attached by its head to the mucous membrane of the cocoon, and, in rare instances, in the colon and small intestine, they are rarely numerous. Ticini or tapeworms, are hermaphrodites, of a flat, ribbon-like form, and are composed of numerous segments, each of which is provided with a complete set of generative organs, and contains ova for the production of thousands of individuals. Some authors have supposed that each segment, or joint, is a distinct individual, but the existence of one head for the whole precludes this theory. There are two species of tinea developed in the human intestine, the tinea solium and the tinea latus. For the tinea solium is the species commonly found in America and all the countries of Europe, except France, Russia, and Switzerland. In France, both species are found, but the tinea latus seems to be indigenous to Russia and Switzerland. The tinea solium varies in length from 4 or 5 to 30. 35, or even 40 feet. The head is hemispherical and armed with a double row of 20 or 30 hooklets. The genital organs are alternate and placed upon the outer edges of each segment. It inhabits the small intestine, and is usually solitary. 5. The teniolated, or broad tape worm, is distinguished by the greater breadth of its segments, and the location of the genital organs, which are found in the center of each segment. Its small elongated head is unarmed and has a longitudinal fissure on each side. It usually attains a greater length than the tinea solium. Symptoms. The symptoms which the long worms occasion, are frequently somewhat obscure. Thirst. Irregular appetite. Colicky pains. Excessive flow of saliva. Enlargement of the abdomen. Itching of the nose. Pallor of the face. Offensive breath. Disturbed sleep. And grinding of the teeth. All are common symptoms. Occasionally. Convulsions and other nervous affections are produced by the presence of the ascarized lumbricoids, but generally they produce less constitutional disturbance than the other varieties. The passage of the species of worms from the bowels, or their ejection from the stomach, is the only positive evidence of their presence. The ascarized vermicularis, thread, pin, or seat worm, gives rise to most of the symptoms produced by the long worms, but in addition produces intense itching at the anus, and not infrequently, an eruption upon that part, the itching is particularly distressing at night, when the little sufferer is well covered, the warmth occasioned by the bedclothes causes these little parasites to crawl out upon the anus, and produces such paroxysms of itching and pain as to cause the child to kick the covering off and lie naked, the persistent manifestations of a disposition to lie naked, should excite the parents' suspicions of seat worms, and lead them to investigate all the symptoms. By examining the child's schools the worms may be found adhering to the feces, and they may also be seen on the anus. Thousands of children suffer in told agony from these little seat worms, which are left unmolested to torment them, because the parents are unfamiliar with the meaning of the symptoms manifested, and therefore pay no heed to them. We have been thus particular in describing the symptoms indicating the presence of these pestiferous parasites, in order that they may be readily detected. The symptoms produced by the tapeworm are dizziness, ringing in the ears, increased secretion of saliva, indigestion, ravenous appetite, sharp abdominal pains, and emaciation. The only positive sign of the presence of these parasites, is the passage of pieces of them in the feces. The nervous and other symptoms produced by the ordinary long worms are also caused by the tapeworm. Causes. 
Careful observations have proved that there are certain causes which favor the generation or development of intestinal worms. Among others, we may mention fatty or farinaceous articles of food, gormandizing, constant exposure to a moist atmosphere, and sedentary habits. It is now generally conceded that the development of tapeworms is due to the swallowing of an egg or germ cell, which is contained in many kinds of animal food, and which the process of cooking has failed to destroy. People living near low marshes, lakes, or the seacoast, are liable to teeny treatment. The expulsion of the ascarized lumbricoids may be very easily and pleasantly effected. Santomin is an effectual remedy for this variety of worms. For a child three years old, take Santomin. 6 grains, podophyllin, 1 grain, white sugar, 30 grains, mix, triturate, and divide into 12 powders, and give one every 3 or 4 hours, until they act upon the bowels, or take santomin, 10 grains, white sugar, 20 grains, mix, triturate, and divide into 10 powders, and give one every night at bedtime, and after giving 2 or 3 in this way, administer a mild cathartic. As santomin is almost entirely tasteless, if not combined with other medicines which are impalatable, no difficulty will be experienced in administering it to children. By reference to the article on antihelminics in this volume, other valuable vermifuges may be selected, and directions found for their employment. In the removal of thread or pin worms, antihelminic medicines taken into the stomach are of little or no value. An injection of a strong solution of salt is a very efficient remedy. A teaspoonful of turpentine and half a pint of milk makes a good injection. Strong coffee has been recommended as an injection. The anus should be well anointed with Vaseline, lard, oil, or fresh butter. After each movement of the bowels, whatever injection or remedy is used, it should be followed by the application of some ointment to the anus. Otherwise they will continue to deposit their eggs about that orifice and multiply there. Various remedies have been used to destroy tapeworms. Among others we may mention the old and time-honored remedy, which consists of two or three ounces of the oil of turpentine, taken in castor oil or some aromatic tincture, a decoction made by boiling two or three ounces of freshly powdered pomegranate bark in a pint of water was used by the ancients, and is now highly recommended as a remedy. Some American physicians have used an emulsion of pumpkin seeds with marked success, 20 or 30 grains of the extract of male fern followed by a cathartic is highly recommended for the destruction and removal of tinea. Trichina spira lives. In 1835, Owen discovered a peculiar parasite, which sometimes infests the human body, and is termed the trichina spiralis. The presence of these parasites has given rise to morbid conditions of the system, followed by the most serious results. They are developed in the alimentary canal, and then perforate its tissues and enter the muscles. Twelve trichinae have been found in a section of human muscle only one-twelfth of an inch square and one-fifth of an inch in thickness. The early symptoms of trichinae are very uncertain, being the same as those of some other disease. The patient complains of severe pain in the abdomen and is troubled with diarrhea. When the trichinae pass into the muscles, they occasion great suffering. There are sharp pains in the muscles. The perspiration is profuse, and the patient becomes exhausted. Cause. Nearly every case of trichinae which has been brought to the notice of the profession, has been attributed to the eating of raw or improperly cooked pork. The parasites can only be detected with a microscope. Treatment. The impossibility of removing the trichinae after they have passed into the muscles is apparent, and, as yet, no special remedy has been recommended to remove them from the alimentary canal. 
The only safety lies in prevention. Hence raw or imperfectly cooked pork should never be eaten. Dyspepsia. It is generally conceded that a multitude of human ailments arise from indigestion, and in its various forms it taxes the skill of the physician to prescribe the proper remedies. It is undeniable that the closest intimacy exists between happiness and good digestion. A healthy digestion aids materially in making a cheerful disposition, and the feast of reason and flow of soul is due as much to the functional integrity of the stomach as to a strong and generous mental organization. Dr. Johnson severely said, Every man is a rascal as soon as he is sick. We all know that a morbid condition irritates the individual and excites sarcastic and disagreeable remarks, and, likewise, an irritable temper and suddenly aroused passions may not only turn and disturb the stomach, but even poison the secretions. Anxiety, excitability, fear, and irritability frequently cause the perversion of physiological processes. The slightest functional disturbance of the stomach deranges, more or less, all the succeeding operations of digestion and tends to the vitiation and impairment of the delicate processes of nutrition. Dyspepsia may commence and proceed so insidiously as not to excite the suspicion of friends, although the patient generally desires active treatment, such as cathartics, emetics, and medicines to act upon the liver. When the disease becomes confirmed, it presents some of the following symptoms, weight, uneasiness, and fullness in the region of the stomach, attended by impatience, irritability, sluggishness, anxiety, and melancholy, there is impairment of the appetite and taste also sourness, flatulency, and, perhaps, frequent attacks of colic, loss of hope, courage, and energy, apathy, drowsiness, and frightful dreams are also symptoms common in the different stages of this disease. There are, furthermore, the accompanying symptoms of a coated tongue, bitter taste in the mouth, and pleasant irritations, scalding of the throat from regurgitation, offensive breath, sick headache, giddiness, disturbed sleep, Sallow countenance, heartburn, morbid craving after food, constant anxiety and apprehension, fancied impotency, and fickleness. The subjects of dyspepsia frequently imagine that they require medicines to act upon the liver, desire active treatment, are endlessly experimenting in diet, daily rehearse their symptoms, and are morbidly sensitive. Causes, overtasking the body or mind, overloading the stomach, the use of improper food such as stale vegetables and meat, and ripe fruits, indigestible articles, improperly prepared food, irregular meals, disorderly habits, the use of alcoholic stimulants, loss of sleep, masturbation irritability of temper, anxiety, or grief may all give rise to indigestion, if the functions performed by the skin are embarrassed by cold, tight clothing, or lack of cleanliness, the nutritive changes cannot properly take place throughout the body and consequently the digestive functions are embarrassed, as the revolutions of a water wheel are impeded by the backset of the water. When food is not thoroughly masticated, it is not properly mixed with saliva of the glands of the mouth, and is not prepared for digestion by the acids of the stomach. Whatever diminishes the general strength, impairs the health, or encroaches upon the functions of life, also hinders the perfect solution of food and disturbs in a measure the function of digestion. Whatever diminishes the normal amount of the digestive secretions or perverts their quality, deteriorating their solvent properties, is a cause of dyspepsia. This should be borne in mind in selecting remedies. Treatment. The hygienic treatment consists in the regulation of the daily habits, proper selection and preparation of the food, cultivation of cheerfulness, diversion of the mind, 
and cleanliness of person. We cannot give particular directions as to the kind of diet, as there are no established rules for guidance. Generally, a dyspeptic knows best, from experience, what articles of diet can be taken with the least injury. The directions applicable to the condition of one patient, are not sweet to those of another. In dyspepsia, animal food island as a rule, preferable. Foods rich in starchy matter often ferment and produce distress. Sometimes alkalis may be given with beneficial effect, when there seems to be an excessive acid in the gastric secretions. In some cases, the digestive fluids are weak and fermentation results, giving rise to flatulency and belching. An antiseptic, which may be prepared by mixing a teaspoonful of hydrochloric acid with four ounces of water, of which a teaspoonful may be taken after each meal will prove beneficial to check the fermentation and aid digestion. The addition of one or two drops of a mixture of one part of carbolic acid and six of glycerin, to the above solution of hydrochloric acid improves its antiseptic properties. Or, Dr. Pierce's golden medical discovery will stop a new fermentation, and from its tonic and invigorating effect upon the lining membranes of the stomach will generally overcome the indigestion. Some people are afraid to take it, when suffering from indigestion because it has a sweet taste, but the sweet is not saccharin, or sugar sweet, but an entirely different sweet principle which prevents fermentation instead of promoting it. Acidity of the stomach and the attendant irritation may be allayed by the following mixture, calcium magnesia, 1 dram, refined sugar, 1 dram, subnitrate of bismuth, 1 half dram, oil of put, 10 drops, the dose is half a teaspoonful an hour after every meal, any dispensing druggist can put it up. It is frequently difficult to prevent the patient from over-distending the stomach, and thus impairing the tone of the muscular coats and prolonging the process of digestion. In consequence of debility, overexertion, anxiety, or chronic inflammation of the stomach, there is not a proper secretion, in quantity or quality, of digestive solvents, and it matters not whether it be a deficiency of the fluids of the stomach, or of the intestines, or of the pancreas and liver, the result is indigestion. The question of what important agent is lacking, naturally presents itself to the physician. Is it pepsin, the active principle of the gastric juice, which converts proteids into peptone, that is wanting, or is there a deficiency of pancreatin? Of course the principle which is lacking should be supplied, but has the physician the remedial agents properly prepared, and ready for prescribing? The specialist, having more cases of dyspepsia to treat than the general practitioner is more likely to have the latest and most approved remedies applicable to a loss of appetite, indigestion, impoverished blood, imperfect assimilation, and all diseases arising from faulty nutrition. In ordinary practice, the physician's time is divided in his consideration of acute, chronic, surgical, and obstetrical cases. In fact, much of it is occupied in writing to reach his patients. His attention is continually diverted from one class of cases to another effectually preventing investigation in any particular direction. His patronage does not warrant him in the outlay of time required for the investigation of particular diseases, and the expense necessary to obtain the latest and best remedial agents for their treatment. In the multiplicity of his cares and arduous duties by night and by day, obstinate chronic cases become an annoyance to him, and whenever he can be otherwise professionally employed, he avoids them, disliking to undertake their treatment with plenty of time for scientific investigation, ample facilities to meet the demands upon his skill, and each succeeding case presenting some new phase, the treatment becomes a matter of absorbing interest to the specialist, 
and each success inspires greater confidence. We not only use in the treatment of indigestion, solvent remedies, like pepsin, which act only upon proteids, but also other remedies of recent discovery, which exert a remarkable curative influence in diseases of the digestive organs. The chemistry of digestion and of life is becoming better understood. Any of the free acids may serve to dissolve a precipitated phosphate, but it is only the investigating therapeutist and experienced practitioner who understands which of them is the most and which is the least efficacious. Alkalis may dissolve lithic deposits, but who, unless he be an experienced physician, can detect the fault of nutrition which leads to their formation, or rightly interpret the symptoms indicating it. These simple illustrations of the complications which attend dyspepsia are mentioned merely to show that they must be anticipated and taken into account in the treatment. The number of cases of dyspeptic invalids treated by the staff of the Invalids Hotel and Surgical Institute within file past few years is so large as scarcely to be credited by those unacquainted with the prevalence of this disease. For this reason we have taken unusual pains to investigate the causes of the disease and had spared no expense to provide the most approved digestive solvents and stomachic tonics which invigorate the mucous membrane of the stomach, and materially assist in reducing the food to a liquid condition. Some of these, without being purgative, increase the activity of the liver, and stimulate the intestinal secretions, two very important indications which should be fulfilled by remedies which cause no real depression. The recent important discoveries made in obtaining the active principles from indigenous plants, has opened the way to the use of a few of the most important of these remedial agents hitherto almost wholly unknown to the medical profession, and the encouraging results attending our practice have amply repaid us for the investigation and originality in our treatment of this affection. A careful chemical and microscopical examination of the urine often discloses the actual morbid conditions which perpetuate this functional disease. Chronic Diarrhea On account of the frequency and importance of chronic diarrhea, we deem it worthy of special consideration. It is frequently the sequel of the acute form of the affection. The urgent and severe symptoms of acute diarrhea are often abated, but the disease is not completely cured. The bowels are left in an irritable condition, perhaps in a state of chronic ulceration, which perpetuates morbid discharges. The most noticeable symptom is the tendency to frequent and unhealthy discharges from the intestines. The evacuated matter varies much in appearance and character in different cases. The precise location of the morbid conditions which give rise to the discharges, as well as to their extent, modifies the color, consistency, and ingredients of the stools. Most frequently they are dark colored and of very offensive odor. They are of a more liquid character than is natural, except when, as is sometimes the case, periods of constipation alternate with periods of unnatural looseness, tormina, or griping, is usually present, but not so severe as in the acute affection tennis moose, or straining, often echo.